Beyond the Wrench with Jay Ganinen from Wrenchway. Welcome back to Beyond the Wrench. My name is Jay Ganinen and I am your host. Today I have with me Jim Beloga, who is the CEO at the Porter and Chester Institute. Before we get started, we want to get your insights on what you want to hear on Beyond the Wrench. If you have a topic or guest that you're interested in hearing, shoot us a Facebook message and let us know. We're always willing to take your feedback and insight to make the podcast better and and really have taken a lot of your suggestions and, and use them in the podcast. So Jim, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jay. Thanks for having me. Good. All right. So we've got a lot to dive into today, but I want to start with your history and really how you started off in education. Was it something that you always aspired to do or was it something that you kind of fell into? Uh, yeah, no, it's a great question. Thanks. I started out my professional career as a, as a CPA and spent the first 10 years of my, my career doing that after college. And, 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 and while I was doing that, I, I always thought about teaching maybe when I was sort of done, if you will, or maybe that was my next career. And then fast forward, call it 20 years, and just happened to I know some folks who were involved in a technical school, post-secondary technical school, and they needed some help operationally and financially. And one thing led to another, and I came on originally as a consultant at, at Porter Chester Institute. And that morphed into a chief operating officer role. And then I've been the CEO now for the past 10 or 12 years. So I've been here about 15 years. And yeah, so it's been a great ride. I, I have to say, I'm, I'm like many folks who didn't really know that this kind of education existed, if you will, this technical education. I, I do vaguely remember wood shop and metal shop in high school. I was sort of on the I was probably the last of the folks uh, maybe being some somewhat exposed to that in sixth through eighth grade and never really gave it much, much more of a thought than that. But it's been, like I said, it's been a great ride. I thoroughly appreciate everything we do and, and the uh, looking forward to talking about the educational programs that we offer. Well, I think your background is really fascinating in the sense that it's very similar to my business partner, Mark, who started off his, his career as a CPA and had a similar thought process to what you do, right? Where or what you did, which was it was kind of shocked at maybe the general perception of the skilled trades, but then also really when he got a chance to dive into it, being able to see how smart these folks are when they get in and when they have the ability to learn with their hands and and use those uh, those skills that they learn and apply them in pretty impactful ways, right? I don't think it's like me sitting behind a keyboard doing a podcast with you today where I'm not out fixing a car to get somebody back on the road or fixing a refrigerator to keep somebody's, their their food in good order, right? I I think when you look at the impact of the trades and once you really kind of get your hands around it, it it does change the way you look at that. And it's, it's, I think going back to what your time was growing up, I don't know that the perception of sending your child off to a skilled trade was, I don't know that you had a lot of parents bragging about that, right? Yeah. No, it's, 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 yeah, it's a great observation. And I think that it's, it's a pretty, it's a, it's, it's a great conversation that we can have about that. I mean, I think when you think about, when I think about the educational programs that we offer, if you want to become an electrician, if you want to become an HVAC technician, 
if you want to become an electronics technician, an automotive technician, a plumber, if you want to become a practical nurse, a medical assistant, a dental assistant, if you want to be involved in, in uh, computer drafting and design or even in computer networks and the technology around them, just given how intertwined technology is in all aspects of our lives today. I think what we're starting to see, I think for the first time in a long time, is that I think families, parents, prospective students, they're starting to consider going into a technical field, if you will. And I think when you look at what's available in terms of the the job prospects, I mean, they really are significant. And, and these are, to your earlier point, I mean, these are jobs that can't really be outsourced. I mean, if you're if you have an issue with your car, you need an automotive technician to work on it right then and there physically. Same thing that goes with you want hot or cold air, you know, or need refrigeration. I mean, those technicians need to be working on the equipment. Same thing with lights and power. Electricians have got to be working right there. Same thing goes for plumbing. So as well as electronics. So, so again, I mean, I think, I think a lot of folks are, are starting to have a, um, a, a perspective around sending a son or daughter off to a technical school to pursue a skilled trade. And again, in many, in many states in the country, I mean, these are licensed professions. I mean, you have to pass, you have to pass a license exam to become able to, to work, to work on your own. And, it, and I, it, it's sort of interesting because I really look at my experience as a CPA in much the same way as I look at an electrician or an HVAC technician or a plumber a nurse, practical nurse, in that you go to school, you, you have related instruction, you sit in a classroom or, or you attend online in a hybrid environment, meaning that lectures online and your, your lab work is on the ground. And then you go and pursue a license. So you become a licensed professional. And I think a lot of parents and a lot of families are looking at just the time and the cost of gaining a tangible skill versus taking a look at pursuing four years of a, a, an opportunity at a, a traditional college or university. And again, there's opportunity costs in every decision we make. And that's the other thing that I think folks are looking at is one year of education, you're in the workforce versus four years of education, and hopefully you're in the workforce. And the skilled, and the skilled trades sort of avenue, I mean, we're we're basically designing educational programs that allow you to gain the skills that you need to be successful day one on the job. So when you show up to your employer, you have tangible skills that you can display. It's not always the case in pursuing a four-year a four-year degree. And I'm not I'm not arguing against four-year degrees. I'm simply saying because I have a four-year degree, I'm just simply saying it's different. And and one of the things that I think back on my career that would have been probably more helpful would have been to have worked a little bit more in the field or in some kind of hands-on environment where I really could have better understood the theory piece of it in, in action, if you will, in the real workforce. And I think that's one of the things that we're very proud of is we've worked with our program advisory committee members to design industry modeled labs where our students are going to go into, call it, just think of it as real world training ground or training lab where they're going to practically apply those theory skills. 
Yeah. And I, I just had a conversation with our local high school. We've done some really cool things in our local community, and I'd encourage anybody that's listening to do something similar where you are really getting involved and in, in having good conversations with these high schools. But one of the things that I saw a shift in with their administration was being open to making their students ready for whatever their next avenue in life was, right? And I think that narrative had kind of changed with the school within the last few years, right? Where in the past, it was more college prep, making sure that somebody's ready to go off to a four-year school. And similar to you, I would never knock a four-year school because I I don't, I, I think there's a purpose for everything and everybody has a different fit. But I think the cool part about the narrative that I had heard from the administration was that they wanted to make every student ready for their next step, whether that was going directly into the workforce or going to a two-year school, going to a four-year school. They wanted those students to be prepared for their next step. And I think that even at a local level here in Wisconsin, that shifted a lot. And I think it was because of the industry demand. Obviously, you had mentioned it. You could go into any skilled trade right now and be almost guaranteed a job. I, I don't think there's any shortage of, of right. job opportunities for somebody entering the trades. But are, are, I'm curious to, to hear from you. Are you starting to hear kind of that same narrative with the high schools that maybe they're a little bit more willing to open up to a, a different path than the traditional four-year? I think we're definitely seeing that. And I think we're seeing that for a number of different reasons. One, I do think we're seeing that because not every student, I I think we've sort of, we're starting to move away from the one size fits all model. And that is everybody goes to a four year school. That's the only way you're going to be successful. You're starting to see in the workplace employers not requiring, I'll call it that meal ticket, that four year, that four year degree in whatever. And I, and I think what we're starting to see is employers now taking a more vested interest in trying to develop the workforce of the future. Because again, they're coming under a tremendous amount of pressure just because of the demographics of our country and where we're at. And they're trying to, I wouldn't say influence, but they're trying to be more involved in participating in that, that workforce development aspect. Because again, their businesses, they're trying to, at a minimum, maintain their business and sustain the business but they're also trying to grow the business because there is a tremendous amount of demand out there. And, and I think that there's, you hear a lot about the skills gap in the country. I, I would say that there's a skills mismatch in that we have too many folks going into things that we don't really need. We don't need more supply of and, and, and trying to allow students to better understand where maybe their passion really lies by exposing them to, to, to different things. And again, I think for all of us, you don't know what you don't know until you experience it. And, and again, for my, myself included, I mean, when I first walked through, when I first walked through one of our schools, I was blown away by our labs. I was blown away by watching the students do what they were doing. And, and, and it just clicked instantly for me where I said, wow, that's, I mean, there's real value here. I mean, I could, again, come to our school spend a year become basically learning the electrical trade or the HVAC trade or the plumbing trade or the automotive trade or a healthcare trade. And I could go out and, and get a job and there's employers lining up because they need they need workers. And, and so we're definitely seeing the shift. I think the other big shift that we are seeing behind the scenes is just the cost of going to a four-year school and 
and and the economic return associated with that, as well as the opportunity cost, right? So again, I mean, every one of us at 18 could go out and get a job and and that decision alone is a, is an opportunity cost, right? So and so again, I think the 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 thing that families are starting to consider now is they're starting to weigh: Do I have my son or daughter go to a technical school for a year or two, learn very tangible skills that they can use, and then if they decide that they want to go into management or go into some other more advanced area, um, it's not to say that they can't uh, maybe attend a a college or a university, a traditional college or university online, why they continue to work. And I think the that whole experience of taking four years and from 18 to 22 to go find yourself, I think that experience at what point was economically viable, I think today, not not so much so anymore. And, and it puts, again, I think it puts a lot more pressure on families and on students to really find purpose and passion while they're in high school and getting exposed to different different avenues. And one of the things that we do is we do try to spend a lot of time with a high school vocational teachers, as well as just general high school teachers, as well as high school guidance. And um, this week alone, I'm, I'm meeting with two very large high school education teams, one in guidance, one a superintendent of, of, of two of the bigger areas in Massachusetts to talk about just how we can make folks more aware that pursuing a, an educational program at our school is a very viable option. And when you think about just the risk, right, I mean, would you rather risk one year and and maybe know that it's not for you, possibly, or would you rather risk four years or maybe six years because you were trying to find yourself? So, so I think that there's probably some decision-making behind the scenes that are going on there as well in terms of just the amount of time that one has to take to to really sort of figure out, is this something that I really could see myself doing and really enjoy? And but again, I think for us, a lot of our students generally will, will, will visit our campuses. They will, they will talk to other students. They will spend time in our labs. And they, generally speaking, pretty much know that this is what they want to do. And they'll have had conversations with other folks, whether it could be a family member, a friend who might be in the trade or the vocation. So they're able to get a little bit more perspective. But there's there's a, there's a whole host of folks out there who have no idea. I mean, if you think about it, I have, I have friends who both parents are lawyers. Um, you know, their, their children aren't going to necessarily get exposed to, hey, maybe I'm more mechanical and I I do want to become a plumber. Or I do want to become an electrician. I want to build stuff. I want to fix stuff. There's a lot of that that I think we've discouraged in this, in this, I'll say this new sort of world order we're in, if you will, if you look at just the way things are manufactured now, there's not that concept, at least within the home, if you will, of, of repair. I mean, there's elements of repair, no question. But again, just showing people how things work is is one of the things that I think has been lost upon all of us just because we're so busy with, with our lives and, and taking the time to sort of better understand the, the environment that we live in. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I talk to, I talk to prospective people and like, you know how that light switch actually works. Not that you just turn it on up or down and lights come on, but you know, there's a lot that goes into that behind the scenes, behind the sheetrock and behind the, the, the metal or wood studs. And, and, I, and I just don't I just don't think folks really appreciate because, again, they've never seen a home or an office building constructed. So you don't you don't really understand all the all the stuff that goes in, in, in between the walls. I it's funny that you mentioned that I 
I have friends that are pharmacists. I have friends that are in HR, like an HR manager. And the funny part is I've got friends that are pharmacists that hate their jobs and they are too far into it. Their, their debt is so extensive that they can't make a switch, right? They're stuck. And I've got a friend of mine that loves the outdoors, became a pharmacist and was like, Hey, wait a minute. I don't get to be outdoors at all doing this. And, and I think it was so it, it sucks because it's almost those golden handcuffs, right? Where they are getting paid a, a, a good wage, but they have a lot of student loan debt and are are trying to get that out. Enough student loan debt to pay for a pretty nice house in a lot sure. of regards. So yeah. I think seeing that is really sad because at the end of the day, I think they had maybe this false perception of what it was. And then when they get into the real world, it's not it's not accurate or it's not as glorious as maybe what it, what it was positioned as, as they were growing up and going through their high school days and wanted to get into it. I, I know more than one person that has gone on to be an HR manager or in HR in general. And it's funny because they did it because they saw their neighbor in both cases, they saw that their neighbor was doing well for themselves as an HR person. And so that was literally the only the only reason they went into HR is because they saw their neighbor in a nice house and thought that it was a cool career. And then yeah. when they get in and they're like, oh, I have to fire people. I have to do all of, all of this stuff that's not all that fun. I, I think it, it's more of being able to see what options are out there and seeing what is the best fit for you as an individual. I love the way that you put it that – there isn't a one size fits all kind of uh, solution to any of this. Like everybody's an individual and, and it's important to know what you like to do and what your skills uh, are, are made for. Right. I, I think understanding what your strengths are and leveraging them as you get in out, out into your professional career is just super important to your success as a whole. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're spot on. I mean, I think again, I think when you look at education, Overall, just think back when I call it experiential education. I mean, how much how much of that did we really have or do we have? Right. And it's like I'll talk to kids about algebra or geometry and they're like or trigonometry and they're like, I don't see the relevance of it. Yet, if you have to build a house or lay a pipe or bend a piece of conduit, all of a sudden, all of those things become relevant. And I think, and I think for all of us, the challenge as educators is really trying to make education more relevant, meaning where is the practical application in real life, right? And, and, that's, and I think that's the, that's the challenge for every educator is trying to make that connection for students so that they better understand this is important and this is why what I, what I what I think a lot of folks really and again it, I'm not not trying to be controversial here I'm just simply saying they just haven't we haven't the educational area hasn't sort of bridged the gap math and science if you look at stem careers we have to do a better job in my opinion of trying to make those connections for kids so that they understand where the application of the theory works in the real world. Because again, I think for a lot of us, we we don't really understand what we don't know. And, and yeah, and I, and I just, it's, it, it, it's an interesting, as I spend more time doing this, it's, it's just interesting to me how we're constantly trying to figure out other ways to really help students understand the theory but also practically by practically applying that theory 
in an industry modeled environment so that they can have that aha moment and that connection and go, oh, that's why that makes sense now. I can see it physically. I can see it visually. I can touch it. And, and again, I think from my perspective, I mean, I tend to be more of a visual learner. So if I see someone write something and, and if I can apply it, I, it really helps cement it for me as well. So my natural tendency is, is to, is to have somebody put it up, put it up visually so I can see it. And, and if I can draw it or doodle it out, then that helps cement the concept for me in my mind. And that's just the way I learn. And it's, a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting, right? Thing where, I, I don't remember ever like having that experience in elementary, middle school, high school, even college, where somebody would say to me, what kind of learner are you? Or how do you think you best learn? And, and, and having that, that self-reflection, whereas I think like everything in our lives these days, we've all become, I think, a, a bit more advanced and a bit more introspective. And, and I think that that really helped for folks to try to figure out, because again, I think that then helps you with your success and what and what you're doing. The something you said there just triggered my high school self because when you talk about applied learning, I, I look back to my time in a classroom and sitting through algebra class early on in, in high school and thinking to myself, like, as soon as it got hard. I was like, well, this is stupid. Like, why do I have to learn this stuff? This this is not going right. to apply to me. Like, I just always thought I'd be a technician, an automotive technician. Never thought I'd, my career would go the way it did. But I remember once that happened, it was like a light switch went off. And I was like, my my interest stopped. I, I was no longer interested in algebra. I was no longer in putting forth effort needed to succeed in that class. And it, it came down to the why, like, why am I here? Why am I spending my time in this class that I hate the, the, the teacher's boring and it's really hard to follow. And I, I, I just turned it off and I, I just being upfront, I didn't try the rest of the semester, right. Or the rest of the year. Like it just right. was one of those things where it was, um, once it became difficult and I turned to the why, like, why am I doing this? And I didn't have a logical reason. And to your point, I just didn't know how it would help me out. If I feel like right. if I would have known how it would help me out and apply it to, hey, you know what? You're going to work on cars. This might apply in X reason or in, for whatever reason. I, I think the why you're learning something is so important. And, and I think not just for me, but for a lot of people that learn similar to you and I, more visually, more hands-on in a lot of cases – Having that why in a in a maybe a class where it's it is a little bit more sitting down and and trying to listen to a teacher it, having that why is incredibly important. Yeah, I mean, again, I think the connection for all of us. I hit the nail on the head. Is why is this relevant to me and my interests, right? And and I think that again, that's it's a hard thing. I think for all of us to help people with because again it requires it requires questioning and if you have a class of 20 or 30 kids and they're sophomores or freshmen in high school and they're in algebra one and you're trying to explain how this might be relevant to them you have to ask a lot of questions about what their career what what their interests may be and 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 again in those periods of time if you're you're still trying to form I think you're who you are and you're trying to find yourself, if you will. 
and what really what really resonates for you. I mean, where where is your purpose and passion for you right now? Again, I, I mean, I remember my geometry and trigonometry classes. I mean, especially my geometry class because I did have a very charismatic geometry teacher. That helps. And yeah, and that was helpful. And but it was interesting because he knew. He knew that I played on the high school ice hockey team and the high school lacrosse team, and I was a goalie in both sports. And I think back now to myself having coached my daughters in hockey and and and, and coached other young women in hockey, and 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 actually helping coach some of the goalies. And and again, I think to myself, where, why didn't I have a conversation with my geometry teacher about just Angles the angles and other than talking about the angles and trying to cut down angle and versus taking a protractor and, and sort of drawing it around the goal crease and saying, this is how, this is how you have to visually get yourself acclimated. And there was a lot of things that I think we do intuitively, but we don't really make that connection. And I, and I thought, and so one day I was actually teaching or coaching one of the young goal goaltenders and, and it was like, I was trying to, sort of go through a half moon with her and and explain to her okay here it's 45 degrees this is if a person is and i would i would go out you know into the hockey rink in front of the goal crease and i would say if a player is here this is where you need to be if a player is here this is where you need to be and then i switched it with her and i said look you go out there and i and i basically painted on the ice these these sort of data points if you will and then i said i'm going to go stand in the goal and you see what it looks like for you visually. And she was like, oh my gosh. She's like, you just like <laughs> broke the code. Like now I sort of fully appreciate what it's like to be an offensive player looking at a goalkeeper. But again, it's just, it's just, it's those, those kinds of experiential opportunities and, and, and thinking a little bit differently about how you share information and then how you get the learner to engage with that material. And again, I think the cool thing about our school and in our programs is that they're highly structured. We're not spending a lot of time on, 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 on gen ed type courses. I mean, it's all material that you can use in your day one on your job. So again, it's not to say that you're not going to have a trade math class and you're going to have a safety class and you're going to have other things, OSHA classes, you're going to have other things that you have to, that you have to sort of get through. That'll be probably more theory, but again, to the extent that you can then make that connection out in the shop or the lab or the real world environment, that's where, that that's the goal of, of our education. I, I think the key there is it's applied to what you're already interested in and what you're, what you're trying to be successful in, right? And it's right. it's tied to that specific area that you're wanting to go in. And I I just think out of human nature, it's just easier to learn that way when you're interested in it. Yeah. No, there's no yeah, there's no question. I mean it gets back to your your algebra class, right? I mean you you ask yourself why is this important? And if the if if your your teacher knew that you were maybe interested in automotive or cars and they had a little really extra time yeah, they, they could have made that connection for you and you would have said, oh, man, oh, now I'm really interested knowing that I need to understand this algebraic formula in terms of whatever it is, torque or horsepower or friction or or whatever. And again, I think to your point, you have your why and, 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 and then that makes the material more relevant to your success as an individual and in learning the material and then, and then practically applying it. 
Have you heard of Runtway School Connect? Runtway School Connect is a free tool that makes it easier for schools to connect with local shops and dealerships and get the resources they need to attract students to technician programs and educate them about the industry. Schools can post requests for donations and resources from shops, and shops can post resources they have available to schools in their area. Shops and schools can visit Runtway.com to contact us and learn more. Link is in the show notes. Now, one thing I learned about Porter and Chester is something that I think a lot of tech schools are, are offering, which is a variety of different classes, right? Or a, a variety of different career paths in which you can study. I'm curious if you've got that maybe high school senior that's knowing that they want to work with their hands, but aren't sure which avenue to go into, is there a good way to understand or help them understand what the best avenue for them is? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I, I mean, our, our feeling on that is is what we try to expose prospective students to that the high school juniors and seniors and even sophomores to some some extent. The best thing for for them, I think, is just coming in visually, seeing the environment, see see the learning environment, and 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 again, we we do from time to time allow students to sit in a class or attend a lab. We we have what we call discovery days where students might go into an electrical lab and they may bend a piece of metal pipe or they may go into plumbing and cut a piece of pipe. So, or they may go in the automotive shop and watch one of the current students change a set of tires or change a set of brakes or do something like that. So, so again, I mean, for us, it's really trying to allow the student to immerse themselves into that actual learning environment, that, that industry modeled lab learning environment that we have, because again, I think they can say to themselves, oh, I don't want to get my hands dirty or there's too much grease here or there's whatever. I'm not, I'm not sure I can see myself on a second or third story trying to snake stuff. I mean, so again, I think it's, it's really trying to allow that students to, to experience a small piece of what it would be like to do that, that job, if you will, or have that career. Well, and I think this is where our industry can step up a lot. And I've seen us make steps in the right direction in terms of getting more exposure for the students to the shop environment and bringing them in, whether it's via shop tour or maybe doing a job shadow or that type of thing. I think in the past, it was more of an inconvenience. I know growing up, it was hard to get a job shadow at places, but we're starting to see industry step up in that regard. And I think it's so important that a, a, a young person go experience these things and see what it's like and get a real taste of what it's like in the real world there so that it's not just some dream state or something that you don't have a lot of exposure to, but you actually get in the trenches and see what's going on. And I my call out to all shops that are out there listening right now is make sure you're connecting with those high school students so that they can get down there they can get their hands dirty maybe even a little bit, but really being able to see it, they can see whether they'll like it or they won't like it. And I think it's right. just, as, just as important to see if they aren't going to like it or it's not going to be a fit rather than going and throwing a bunch of money at education and educating in something that they're just not going to be involved with. Maybe that person that comes in to be a technician, automotive technician, sees that, hey, I don't like this as much, but maybe I, I really like that HVAC side. They're going to be much more interested in and, it, and even if they think they like working on cars, but they've never actually done it, and then they get in and they're like, oh, that's hard. I don't know if I want to do that. 
you're doing both parties a favor. You're doing yourself a favor by not spending a ton of time and effort in trying to train that person and get them through school. But then you're doing that individual a favor by not having them spend a lot of money on something that is not going to be part of their path. I think that exp- that experience of getting them in the real environment and showing them what it's really like is really important to making that young person a success. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think... And again, one of the things that we do is when we invite students and their families to our schools, we tour them. They may come in and say, I'm interested in automotive, and but we still tour them throughout the whole school. So we'll take them into the plumbing lab. We'll take them into the HVAC lab. We'll take them into the electrical lab, the electronics lab. We'll take them over into the healthcare side and, 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 and even the, call it the computer technology side. I mean, we, we really expose all of the programs to our students so that they 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 have a, a holistic approach to what we've shown them. I mean, it's it's been very rare that an automotive, a student interested in auto, becoming an automotive technician, we've toured them and they've decided to become a medical assistant. I mean, that it doesn't doesn't really happen. Doesn't correlate. But, yeah. Yeah. But and I think the other thing that is, is kind of neat is that the students, when they do tour campus, I mean, we do have current students actively doing work in our labs and they can see a student maybe changing a set of breaks. And, and, and again, every now and again, we do hold some discovery days where students can come in and they can actually change a set of brakes or change a set of tires, something that's not going to affect the, the safety of a car, if you will. But not to say that not having the tires on correctly, so <laughs> check for that easily versus brakes. But, but, you know, again, I think that having them feel like they've accomplished something. I mean, again, it's an interesting, it's an interesting sort of dilemma. I mean, how many, how many 18 year olds, 16 to 18 year olds who have their license, first of all, knows where the spare tire is and two, knows how to change the tire. And, and, and again, it's just, it's just one of those things that I think a lot of us, um, you know, because we're experienced have taken for granted and, and it's not that it's good or bad. It just is what it is. And, and I think that I, I think we make a lot of assumptions a lot of times that folks just naturally know that or should or should know that they know how to change a tire. And again, it was sort of interesting. I have a great story. One day I was I was coming to, to school to work one day and our students all wear a uniform top. And I noticed I was driving down sort of a country road. I live out in the out in the woods, but I was coming to work and I noticed on the side of the road, a car sort of pulled off to the side. And I noticed one of the students, I noticed the person wearing one of our shirts. So I'm like, oh, it must be one of our students. So I, so I pulled over right in front of his car and backed up and, and I walked up to him and I said, hey, I, I see you're, you work at, or you're, you go to school at Porter and Chester Institute. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, I'm going to be late for class because I got this flat. And I said, well, have you ever changed a flat before? And he goes, no. He goes, I don't even know where the spare tire is. And I said, and, and I knew what program he was in. He was in HVAC. And I said, well, obviously we're not teaching you that in HVAC. And so I, I go in the back, the back of the car. I, I lift up part of the, the felt and we find the tire. We, we get the tire out. I show him how to put the jack on. We jack the car up. We take the one tire off. We put the other tire on. And, and then we put it back in the car. And I said, well... I said, who's your instructor? I said, I'll make a phone call for you because you're going to be late to class. And this is back, this is before COVID. So we were, we were, we were much more on ground centric, if you will. And he told me who it was and, and he goes, and he goes, well, well who are you? And he, I said, well, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the president and the CEO of Porter and Chester Institute. And he's like, he's like, you just like, you were like, and I was dressed fairly nicely. He goes, and you just got your hands dirty helping me 
learn like how to change my tire. And I said, well, it's yeah, I did. I said, this is the nice thing to do. And I said, I, I could tell that you were not sure what to do just based on the look on your face. And so that's why I pulled over and backed up. And again, I knew that you were wearing one of our shirts. So I, so anyway, so he was, he was, and of course I called his instructor and instructor, he walked in, he goes, Oh, I got a call this morning. You got a flat tire on. He's like, he's like, yeah, he actually called you. And he's like, Oh yeah. He, and so he actually wrote me a nice thank you note after that. He was very, very grateful. And he said, no one in my family ever like showed me how to do that. And I wasn't even sure where to look. And he goes, I was trying to search my phone, but I really couldn't figure it out. And nice young man. And so anyway, but, but again, I think it's, it's, it's like, it's one of those things where I think like all of us, if you haven't experienced it before, you just, you don't know what you don't know. And uh, it's always nice to learn from somebody who's, who's done it a few times and, and knows, and knows what to do. And I think that's, that's one of the, really the beautiful things again, about our education that, that we offer at our school. And again, I mean, Porter Winchester Institute has, has all those programs that we talked about. We also have another school that we, uh, we own called YTI Career Institute. And it's, and it's, and it, and it sort of expands, um, expands out our offerings more on the healthcare side. And so, and I just want to sort of digress for a minute, because again, we're really proud of a couple of the programs we have there. We have a respiratory oh, therapist program. Yeah. And with COVID coming on, respiratory therapists were, were with all, they still are in very, very high demand. And so we've got this, I call it a hybrid online program where it's basically lecture online and, and lab and clinical where you live. And we do, and we're doing that now in our veterinary technician program as well. So it's really very cool because we're trying to offer up a more innovative approach to education and, and, and trying to figure out ways where you can integrate education into your life. Because again, I think nowadays everybody has to work a little bit and or, or, or have some family obligation or whatever. And so it's just, I, I, I really see higher ed changing in the future, moving more towards hybrid and, and also um, people not necessarily going to pursue this I'll call it this, this terminal degree that lasts them, quote, their lifetime. And just because I think so many things are changing now that you really have to commit yourself to continuous lifelong learning. And again, I look, when I started at Porter and Chester Institute 15 years ago, I bet you 30% of a car was electronic. Today, we now have electric cars, we have hybrid cars, and, and most gas power cars are probably 90% electronic. And that's, I think it's one of the challenges for the automotive industry. And I've tried to explain this to, to the industry that you got to figure out how to connect with younger, younger, younger kids and younger students. Because again, when, when I grew up and, and I'm sure Jay, when you grew up, you, you could have a, a box of tools that you could borrow from an uncle or grandfather, or your dad, aunt, nephew, cousin, whoever. You could borrow a set of tools and you could work on your car because it was mechanically based. And nowadays it's with computers, you've got to have a scan tool, then you've got to have access to manufacturer codes. So it's gotten very complicated and it's not, it's not as easy to break in and create that interest for students as they're sort of growing up. And, and I think that, again, that's another challenge, I think, that faces a lot of these industries is, is really trying to make students aware of the, of the possibility. We just started a welding program, for example, 
And interestingly enough, my son came home and from college and he's actually a construction sciences major, which is great. Yeah. And uh, very hands-on. And, and uh, he and I went to a, a welding class at a, a local welding company just to sort of see why well, I wanted to meet the, the owner of the welding company. But, but he and I went and we had a great experience. And, and again, I just, there's so many of these things, these skills that exist that I just don't think people realize that, that are out there that you could actually build stuff. You can fix stuff. You can feel great after a Saturday or an evening of repairing something and, and, and getting something physical accomplished. And I just think that I think a lot of families are are starting to come back to that, that the, those kinds of things where, and I think COVID helped um, accelerate some of that where families weren't spending time out, they were spending time in their home and they were there was these opportunities to do these kinds of things with, with their children. If you're enjoying Beyond the Wrench, remember to follow and rate our podcast to help support the show. Right now, we'd like to give a shout out to this week's sponsor, Lithium Motors. Lithium Motors started in 1946 as a single point Dodge store and has since grown to be the second largest publicly owned automotive group in the nation. Lithium Motors currently owns and operates over 280 stores in the United States and Canada. If you're interested in partnering with or working for a Lithia shop, learn more at lithia.com. I agree. I, one of the really fascinating things that I think perplexes a lot of folks in our industry is trying to relate to the younger person or trying to make sure that they're doing their part. Do you do you have any advice for the automotive or diesel industry in terms of the best ways to to help kind of take them from their technical education into real life application. It, it, are, do you have any advice for shops that are out there listening that you could make <clears throat> their people more successful? Yeah, I mean, I, I would just simply say, I mean, I think we all have to commit ourselves to training and whether that, that training is sort of in classroom training or or online training, or even virtual or simulation training. I think the more that we can make learning fun and not feel like learning, I think the better off many industries, especially automotive and diesel will be. One of the cool things that we, like I said, we just started this welding program. We actually purchased two simulators to really help students understand the concepts before they start really burning through material, if you will. And it helps them with their eye-hand coordination and, and using all of their senses. Because again, when you weld, you know, you're seeing, you're hearing, you're touching, you're feeling, you're smelling. I mean, so all of your senses are engaged. And I think right now, I think for, for a lot of industries, making some investments and some training tools to help to help students and, and, and newer employees get better at their craft, right? I mean, because everybody's trying to become more proficient. I mean, I, I equate it to going back to playing hockey or lacrosse or baseball or football or basketball, whatever. Going back to a sport and you think about athletes just trying to the right process or the right steps over and over and over again until it it, it becomes, you become unconsciously competent, Right. And, and I think that that would be my advice. I mean, my advice would be to one, try to make future learning fun, try to make it in a way that is appealing to, to, to the, the, to the, the prospective student as well as the workforce. 
And again, we're constantly trying to do that. I mean, in our practical nursing program, for example, we went out and bought 10 high fidelity mannequins and those mannequins can, can simulate a heart attack, a pneumonia, any kind of human distress. And, and it can be done. It's done by the instructor through a computer. And what's, what's interesting to me, or, or I, I should say the revelation that I had, and this goes for automotive and diesel and, and any, any real profession. But the thing that I sort of thought about afterwards was we talk about all these real world experiences and they're great. Don't get me wrong. They're great. But what I, I thought was really interesting is, is a, in, especially in the healthcare environment, if you go out and to a clinical setting and all the patients you're exposed to are relatively healthy, you really don't have, I mean, you have a clinical experience that is a clinical experience, but nobody, no, none of those patients had pneumonia. None of those patients had a heart attack. No, and so you never get to experience Real these, crit, yeah, the critical, the critical situations where you have to be really prepared and on your game because you can't, it's not like you can run back to a book and look, I mean, time, time is of the essence, right? And, and. And it's, it's just interesting to me how I would say edu some educators in the country still rely exclusively on clinical experience. And again, I just think that there's always a better way to do things and a more holistic way to do things. And so I'm constantly trying to push the, the edge of the envelope a little bit in, in terms of challenging ourselves. How can we better help students learn uh, whatever the whatever the subject matter is? And again, I often point to Captain Sully. I mean, it's not like U.S. Air gave him a 737 to land in a lake every every other week, right? I mean, that ain't happening. But, you know, the fact that he spent all those hours in, sim in a simulator and, and all of his colleagues, I'm sure, have done the same thing. And, and again, I mean, the conditions, everything that sort of took place, I mean, he made, he made all the right decisions. But again... He wouldn't have put, he would not have been in that position had he not spent the time in a simulator going over that over and over and over again and, and understanding all the calculus that has to happen to, to get the plane, not to hit the George Washington bridge and, 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 and to, and to try to find a spot in the water to put it down. And that's just, it, it's a testament, I think, to what pilots go through in terms of their learning. And, and again, I would, I would. I would say that for folks in the automotive and in the diesel industries, I would I would take a hard look at trying to come up with simulation tools that help because I would I would make those tools available in an online way as well versus them being exclusively physical. So I mean, if you could sort of do both, I think that'd be great. But I think it's the future of education. I do think that I think the more that we can make education fun and relevant to people, I think the more that folks are going to be able to to sort of move into the areas that they have interest in. I love how you stated unconsciously competent. It's hard to say, but it's really, really true. Like if you have it if you have that skill so ingrained in you that you're not even thinking about it that you you, you just can do it I, I think that applies anywhere in your life but I, I think that's the importance of habits that's the importance of of being able to learn something so well I always hear I, I heard somebody tell me this before that 
you should learn something so well that you could teach it to somebody else. And while that sounds really easy, it's not easy because you, your brain, I think how you function as an individual is different than how you explain it to somebody. So if you can explain it to somebody, I think that helps you make sure that you understand what you're actually doing. Yeah, no, I, I think that's what makes, I think, teachers very unique, right? I mean, and back to being unconsciously competent, we all think about the first, and I, and I use this example all the time, think about driver's ed, the first time you got behind a wheel, okay, if that was your first experience, and think about how you literally went through probably 20 steps before you even turned the key on. You, you, got, you sat in the car, you adjusted the seat, you adjusted the mirror, you adjusted the side mirrors, you looked around the car, you put your seatbelt on, you stepped on the brake. I mean, you made sure the emergency brake was released. I mean, you, you think about all these things and then now, quite honestly, you drive home and I'm sure you don't even remember how you got home sometimes <laughs> because you've become unconsciously competent in sort of the route and the driving. And, and again, I think for teachers, what teachers I think are so unique is they have the ability to go back to that first moment for all of us and really sort of walk you through the recipe or the steps that you need to take to get to that point. And, and again, it's I, I think instructors and teachers and, and and educators in general, they're they're unique folks because they, they can I think break those things down and explain to all of us why. Again, it's I often also use the difference between Larry Bird and, and Magic Johnson, both great players and their right sort of areas, if you will. And, and again, nothing against either of them in their coaching endeavors. But I think Larry Bird, I think, was probably a better coach than Magic Johnson. And it's not to say it's anything good or bad about either of them. It's just that Larry was had the ability to become be, a, be a, I think, a better coach because he, he might be able to explain things a little bit differently. And Magic just, I think Magic had that, you know, that awesomeness of a player but again, maybe didn't have that other skill to be able to break that down in a way that made sense. And 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 again, both very successful in their in their in their respective careers. And uh, I think it's just it's it's just it's it's an interesting it's an interesting concept. And as, as I spend more time in education, it's just it becomes clearer and clearer to me that it's 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 those really unique folks who can who can break things down and in very sort of bite sized pieces that we can all digest through learning and, uh, and then turn around and, and, and through frequency and repetition, master, master skills. I, we, we talk a lot about that on the industry side in terms of how you pick a manager, right? And how your, your magic Johnson might not be your best manager because they have a difficult time it's, Wayne Gretzky was that way. Michael sure. Jordan was that way. Was so good at what they do that they assume others can do the same things that they can, but they can't. So they struggle with the actual education and coaching of those people. And I'd assume being from the Northeast, you were a Larry Bird guy in general. Yeah, I was. Yeah. <laughs> great player. We were just out in Maine last week with a with a great client of ours and they had a Larry Bird autographed basketball at the, at the silent auction and, and stuff. And it was just so cool. But I was recalling the he did a he had the game where he just played with his left hand and I think that's right. like the most legendary story of all time just right. so good that you decided that you're going to give your shooting hand a night off right right yeah <laughs> when he told everybody in the court I'm just gonna I'm gonna shoot lefty tonight just because 
And if, That's a different yeah. level of good. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like back in the day, Babe Ruth saying, yeah, the ball's going out to right field. On the next <laughs> just, I mean, I think Bird had that ability on the court. To, he was just a talented guy. I mean, I, he... Yeah, he was very, very talented, and I think that uh, it was great. It was great to be able to watch him for for all the years he played, and, and it was great to see him and Magic go back and forth. It was a great rival, and again, they're both both great players. So that is that is great stuff. So if if people want to learn more about Porter and Chester Institute, where do they go? Where where can they find more information? Yes, with regards to Porter and Chester Institute, they can go to Porter Chester. .edu. That's our website. Also, we do. I do host a podcast called Inside Career Technical Education. They can find that on all the major platforms. And, and what we do is we feature either graduates of our programs or employers or anybody else affiliated with the industries that we're talking about or the careers that we're talking about. And again, they whether we're talking about Porter and Chester Institute or YTI Career Institute, and again, if, if students have any interest possibly in healthcare, ti.edu is another place they can go check out. So we have two websites, porterchester.edu, uh, yti.edu, and our podcast, Inside Career Technical Education. And again, every, every couple of weeks, we again, try to feature a graduate and have them take us through their journey. Uh, so that we can share with students other students' struggles and successes and 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 sort of their story, if you will. There's one podcast that I just recently did. We have a gentleman who's in his mid-50s who worked in IT for, I think, 20, 25 years, unfortunately lost his job, was outsourced, and uh, he decided to go back and uh, become an HVAC technician. And uh, he actually applied to Micro Works Foundation for a scholarship. And I believe he got about 50% of his tuition wow. paid for by going through that scholarship process, which he said was was very intensive and it was a lot of work, but obviously well worth it. Um, and again, so again, we talk about 18 to I'll call it 20, 22, 25-year-olds trying to sort of find their passion, if you will, in life. But it's not to say that you can't be 30, 40, or 50 or 55 and and decide that uh, maybe you you want to become an HVAC technician at that point in your life. So he's pretty excited that he's I, I did have a great conversation and great podcast with him. And so again, I would encourage your viewers and listeners to to check out the podcast as well. What a cool idea just to, to hear those stories that we talk about so often and hear it from the people that have actually been in that seat and have actually gone through the program and have, have like you said, gone through the struggles, gone through the good stuff. Yeah. And, and just hearing the whole realm of their experience, I think, is so cool. So we'll make sure to put the, the links to all of those in the show notes. And so feel free. I'd encourage our audience, make sure you go check out those things. The more you can learn about education, the more you can learn about how to make their lives easier, the better that we're all going to be as an industry. So Jim, thank you so much for taking some time with us today. It was a real pleasure. This was a lot of fun and I can't thank you enough for, for spending some time with us today. Jay, thanks for the opportunity. And uh, anytime you want to do this again, I love talking about this stuff. So I would love to have another podcast or follow on podcast with you. I will definitely take you up on that. I think there's still a bunch of stuff that we could dive deeper into. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you.